0: Last summer, the Church received a great gift, the encyclical Lumen Fide, the light of faith. Join us today as we talk about the wisdom of Lumen Fide and the life of faith with Father Sean Sheridan, TOR, President of Franciscan University. I'm Michael Hernan, Vice President of Advancement at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. Franciscan University presents. I'm your host, Michael Hernan, Vice President of Advancement at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. Uh, Today we'll be talking about the new encyclical of Pope Francis, the light of faith, lumen Fidei*. I'm joined here in our studios with our regular panelists, Dr. Regis Martin, Professor of Systematic Theology here at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. Uh, Dr. Scott Hahn, the Father Michael Scanlon Chair in Biblical Theology and the New Evangelization here at Franciscan University. And um, I'm proud to to uh, welcome Father Sean Sheridan, uh, the new president at Franciscan University. Uh, Father Sean, before coming to the university, you've had a kind of a wide history of both uh, uh, lay practice as well as uh, uh, academic experience. You were a lawyer for 10 years out in uh, California and in Pittsburgh, uh, primarily focusing on healthcare litigation. That's true. Uh, but then you found a call to the priesthood and you joined the, the Franciscans TOR and uh, you went on to receive your uh, Masters of Divinity, went on to receive a licentiate and then a doctorate in Canon Law. Uh, you've taught at uh, Catholic U uh, for, in Canon Law as well as you've taught here and continue to teach here and now you're the president as of this past summer. Uh, so welcome to the university and welcome to the program. It is, it is a joy to have you here. So we're talking about the Light of Faith, the new encyclical of our Holy Father, Pope Francis. Uh, Could you start us off with just some, even some of your thoughts on Pope Francis as we're still looking at his first year of his uh, pontificate?
1: Sure, during this first year, we've come to know Francis in a much better way, Mm. um, who he is. There was a lot of speculation as what we could expect from the new Holy Father when he was first selected by the College of Cardinals. Um, Who was he going to be? What type of uh, administration was he going to have? How was he going to lead us spiritually and guide us? And we're beginning to get those great insights into who he is, mm. some of which come forward in this encyclical we're talking about today. Mm. How he intends to continue to reach out to the poor, how he intends to continue to have great um, a care for the young people of our, our church as well, to be able to foster them and to bring them into the fold so they can become the new leaders of our church as well. I think it's a very t- exciting time Uh, in our church right now as we continue uh, to come under the direction and guidance of Pope Francis even more and more closely uh, and to see how he wants to lead us uh, acting under the direction of God and his insights in the way in which he sees God leading us as a church.
0: That's perfect. Um, Well, let's dive right into it. I I started the show off with an introduction that this is a great gift to the church. What is the great gift of the new encyclical, Lumen Fide or the light of
1: faith? Lumen Fide kind of rounds out Uh, the discussion that Pope Benedict emeritus now started uh, with regard to the theological virtues, Mm. faith, hope, and love. Uh, Pope Benedict wrote on faith, I'm sorry, wrote on love and uh, hope um, in his encyclicals. And now Francis brings forward this discussion of faith to round out the theological virtues. Um, He admits that he had some help uh, in drafting the encyclical that we have now before us uh, from his predecessor, Pope Benedict, some insights that come through the encyclical uh, by uh, Pope Benedict, now Pope Emeritus. Um, But there's a great contribution that I see that will continue to have to be studied and developed over the years to help us to further appreciate all that is contained within Lumen Fidei. There are many different people throughout our world who are struggling, Mm. trying to find the reason for them to continue to have great faith, to continue to go forward despite the challenges the struggles they experience in their lives. I think Francis in this encyclical gives us that reason to believe, gives us that reason to have hope, to turn to Mother Church, uh, to be able to assist all of our faithful in the ways in which they struggle throughout their lives. You know,
2: we we can't really sort out the proportions uh, between the two men whose contribution was greater or more telling than the other, but my sense is that the evidence of, uh, of Pope Benedict is all over this mm-hmm. document. You don't have to be a lawyer mm-hmm. uh, to, to sense uh, the omnipresence of his literary style, his flair, but, but I think more significantly, the profundity of his theological intelligence. He has parsed the mystery, I think, more deeply than any man living, mm. but Francis, uh, and those comments you made about his life, I think, are really uh, uh, spot on. What What strikes me about him is his humility, mm-hmm. that he emerges from the shadow of these two titanic figures. I mean, how do you improve upon Blessed John Paul II? And Ratzinger uh, Benedict XVI. You can't, uh, and the only wisdom you can hope to acquire is the wisdom of humility, and Francis wears humility like a
3: hair shirt, mm. uh, and it's very impressive to, uh, to behold. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's a matter of providential timing that the encyclical was released on the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul, mm-hmm. who were the principal evangelizers in the first century, because when you look at Pope Uh, Benedict and Pope Francis, you can see the principal evangelizers of the 21st century, but you can also see the diversity of personalities because Peter and Paul were very different. Mm -hmm. You know, Paul, like Benedict, was, you know, characterized by erudition, scholarship, rabbinic training, and many writings. Whereas Peter was a fisherman, you know, (laughs) who had a much more common touch, could connect with plain folks, and wrote only two of the uh, New Testament books. And you can see here, I think, that, that, that cross-pollination. Yep. Uh, and, and really hear and, and discover, you know, we, we, we use this phrase, hermeneutic of continuity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this embodies that. You, know, you really get a sense that this is Benedict, but it is also just as much or even more Francis. Benedict had been working on it for quite some time. He handed it off. Francis could have said, publish it yourself. But no, he really transforms this and makes it his own. And I, you, you can see in the light of faith, the emphasis of Benedict and the continuity, as you pointed out, of faith, hope, and love. But at the same time, there's a personal touch here. You know, I noticed that the language of family is used. You know, yeah. Sonship or son is used 39 times. Fatherhood, 37 times. And then uh, you have uh, uh, the language of family used 17 times. It's like, wow, well, it's, it's not just theoretical and academic and profound. It's also very personal and practical. Yeah, it's the encounter a lot of yeah, times. Yeah, and I, and I just, I, I celebrate the fact that you have in one encyclical at the beginning of Pope Francis's ministry, something that really breathes the air of Peter and Paul and mm. is released in that glorious mm. feast as well. That's a great insight.
0: Uh, Father, just help us start unpacking this. What, what does some of the, the big picture stuff that this encyclical helps us understand How does it help us understand our faith more? What does it really teach us? Where does it point us when when we're talking about faith? Sure.
1: The encyclical itself is is broken down into four chapters with an introduction and a conclusion. And I think the major themes come across in the chapters um, in response to your question. First of all, talking about salvation history and the importance of salvation and history, and how we have seen the development of faith through the Old Testament, the New Testament, Mm -hmm. those historic figures that we have um, in the early church fathers as well. Uh, Moving to the second chapter, then we spend some time reflecting on um, how we see the dialogue between faith and reason. Uh, Reason in our society that so much of our society sees as guiding us to all truth, Mm. but not always accepting and wanting to incorporate faith into that discussion, to that dialogue, and Francis takes that on as well. Mm. Uh, In the third chapter, he spends a significant amount of time talking about evangelization, the need to evangelize, how faith that this is this gift that we have all received based upon our encounter with Christ is not something that we can just keep to ourselves it's something that we must go out and share with others. Mm. Uh, one of my favorite scripture passages is contained in chapter three, comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13, because I believe I spoke out. Mm. And that's the call yeah. that Francis reminds us that each one of us has in yeah. doing that. Yeah, you can't keep it to yourself. Right, faith is a gift that you have to give away.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, it has to be externalized. What What struck me was was the launching pad, the introduction, mm-hmm. uh, and it really has the signature of uh, of Joseph Ratzinger all over it. This panoramic view, this canvassing of the ancient world. He 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 uh, 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 seizes upon the great sadness of of antiquity. They long for the light, and so they invent the sun god Mm -hmm. as the source, but they realize that it can't throw light upon the darkest mysteries of, of suffering and death and that beautiful passage from Justin Martyr that nobody nobody goes to uh, the cross in defense of their faith in the sun, mm-hmm. right. but only the son of God can illumine uh, the sorrows right. of this world. And then he quotes Dante, who speaks yeah. of this glittering light, this heavenly star that illumines the horizon of our journey. O- only uh, Ratzinger could have plumbed uh, those sources and, and have woven so skillfully together all of that in one page. Mm-hmm. This is the opening salvo of, uh, of the text, and it's liberating. Yeah.
3: You can also see why Pope Francis would have been so uh, welcoming and receptive to the, whatever the rough draft, whatever the first draft looked like. Because when you look at Cardinal Bergoglio's preaching and his writings, like Ratzinger, he emphasizes salvation history. Yeah. And so in chapter one, as you pointed out, it begins with Abraham and it goes through right. the Exodus and then to, of course, the fulfillment of the old in Christ who establishes the new. And in chapter two, there's a lot of material from Isaiah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's something that really stood out to m- in my reading uh, in chapter two that was also very uh, Benedictine, more than Franciscan. Uh, it, it struck me as Ratzinger, and in, in I think it was in Article 25, where he speaks of the situation in the modern world and why it is right. that faith and reason are so radically separated and opposed because of what he describes as the massive amnesia. amnesia. Right. What a phrase. Yeah. Right. It's right. the loss of memory, but it isn't like, I forgot what I where yep. I put my keys. Yep. It's the loss of deep memory. Yep. You know? yep. and I think that's yeah. a real penetrating insight. But right. again, it isn't right. to the exclusion of Pope Francis because you actually find right. this in both of their writings and yeah. teachings and preaching. Yeah, I mean, they
2: both want to awaken this lost memory, this primordial memory mm-hmm. that God is at the origin of everything. Right. He's the source yeah. and, and the source we've got to truth. return right. uh, to God. Yeah. It, we, it, remi- it reminded me of, of a passage in Solzhenitsyn whose whole, whose whole life uh, was harnessed to the need to somehow awaken the Russian people from this, this amputation of historical memory after 70 years of Soviet uh, tyranny. I mean, that, that's what, that's the prophetic gift of the artist. And, and here the artist is a pope, the vicar of Christ. We, we need to remind people of who they are, where they come from, mm-hmm. and, and the God who animates uh, our lives with with three theoli-
0: theologians here uh, i have to ask the question that we kind of well, just qualified the- <laughs> 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 but but what what role does truth, according to this encyclical, play in, in light of faith? I mean, there, there are the secularist humanists who will say that our, our faith, much like, if it's not empirical, if it's not science, the faith is simply a crutch or an emotion or, or a nice fantasy. Uh, but what, what, does, what does this encyclical say about the role of truth and faith, and, and really faith and reason, ultimately?
1: Truth always goes back to our belief, our understanding of Christ, mm-hmm. that that is the fullness of truth. Um, it's hard to be able to experience and understand all that reason wants to um, deliver for us without incorporating that faith into that reason, that dialogue, that discussion,
3: because it's not able to complete that discussion.
0: Right.
1: Yeah.
3: You know, he speaks of how truth without love, you know, yeah. can be intellectualism, it can be impersonal, on the other hand, love without truth could right. be sentimentality right. and a kind of vague, warm, fuzzy feeling. Yeah. You, you need them both, but you also need them to be properly coordinated. Oh it's one thing to love the truth, but it's another thing to discover that the content of truth is love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's not just to have that intellectual longing for more truth. You really have to discover the fact that God is true. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and He manifests a love that goes beyond intellectualism. Mm -hmm. It's
2: not just Mm -hmm. a recognition that that the truth of the Christian claim is central to the message of the Gospel, but rather that truth is scandalous Mm -hmm. because a man came and said, I am the truth, I'm the way. Uh, and without me, there is no truth, there is no way. I mean, this is a, a dramatization of, of the datum of truth. He's not pointing us to a truth. He's saying, I am the I truth. Am. He establishes yeah. the kingdom in himself, in his body. That's a scandal. Yeah, that is powerful, that is really powerful.
0: So w- when we look at the, the faith reason, we look at love, we look at all of these things that, that uh, Pope Francis in the encyclical is really drawing us into a, a deeper understanding, I think our, our world uh, clings to different images of what faith really is. So uh, how does the church understand that, that um, relationship really as we go deeper into the theology of, of faith? And, and can it be something, I mean, even just back back to the basic, can it be something that's earned? Is it something that, that, uh, that we as Catholics have to um, uh, really work at in order to get
1: our faith? Sure, just a couple of thoughts that come to mind based upon your question and following up on Dr. Martin's. Um, response there. One of the things that Francis points out in this encyclical is what society is defining as truth, Mm. as being what is comfortable for us. Mm. If it works for me, if it's easy for me, then that's what truth is. But Francis reminds us that faith is that true gift that we receive from God based upon our own encounter with God and that lives on in our life in the way we're able to uh, address other things in our lives as well. Incorporate that into our search for Christ who is the truth.
0: Perfect. Uh, Stay with us on Francisca University Presents. The gifts of the church, her wisdom, the traditions of the church, her written word and her spoken word are what make faith real to me and my response in receiving that word and living that word through the actions of my life, of love, of charity, of prayer, and just my daily living. There's so much more to the faith than just knowledge. It's, it's really a spirit. It's a, a living. Um, it's a breathing of, of the Word of God in you and allowing God to work through you uh, to bring himself to others.
3: I'm Dan McNally, I'm a theology major here at Franciscan University. I love studying theology, it's my passion, but I mean, I love learning too. You walk out of the classrooms, you want to know more, you don't want the lecture to end, so I mean, that's the really great thing about being a part of a student body is you can continue to discuss outside, it's not just studying to, to make a grade, it's, it's learning to you know improve yourself, and not just through your own personal prayer or your own personal study, but through community, because that's what we're made for. Franciscan University is academically excellent and passionately Catholic.
0: Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. Uh, We're talking about uh, the life of faith, or the light of faith, Uh, Pope Francis' new encyclical with Father Sean Sheridan. Um, Father, what, according to the encyclical, uh, does faith demand? Uh, What does it prompt us? What does it first ask for, uh, you know, as a response to
1: faith? Francis talks about faith being a, a living encounter with God. And because we are able to experience that, It demands that we pass that on to others, that we share the faith with others. It's not something that we can contain, that we are obligated to then go out and share that gift with others. He talks about how uh, we not only do that with our words, but also he talks about the encounter that Francis had with the lepers, Francis of Assisi, this time Saint Francis, um, and how that was part of Francis's conversion um, to becoming a leader in the Catholic Church. Pope Francis talks about the importance of tying faith with conversion. And when we see the experience that St. Francis had with the lepers, we see how he was able to experience the mercy of God um, in, for himself by showing mercy to others. And tying conversion to our own faith life allows us to be able to give witness to the importance of faith in our own lives, mm. as we encounter other people and try to share the faith with other people as yeah. well. Th- that's a, an extraordinary moment uh, in his life because you can't imagine,
2: in the absence of faith, Francis doing anything so bizarre, yeah. uh, so unhygienic, so contrary <laughs> yeah. to what yeah. everyone it's else doing. It's so distasteful. At the time. I mean, surely any ordinary, fastidious man would keep lepers at bay, and yet he embraces this leper, kissing him full on the lips, as if this were Christ, and yet for Mm -hmm. Francis, this is Christ. Mm -hmm. This is an extension of of his his pierced uh, uh, and broken side. He had a vivid sense that the event of incarnation is absolutely contemporaneous. The now moment of the gospel is unfolding right now mm-hmm. in, in the 12th century.
0: And, and St. Francis had that encounter
3: with God. He saw Christ right there. And that, I mean, it was sustained by faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the, uh, the grace of conversion, I think, calls for a sort of circuitry where you, know, you find it in St. Francis, you also find it in Mother Teresa where you, know, you, you you discover Christ in the poorest of the poor or in the leper, but then you also discover how Christ identified Himself with us, entering into solidarity with our own fallen humanity. So it's not just discovering Christ in the leper or the poor, it's discovering how Christ has identified Himself with us, That's right. that we're the lepers, right? that right. we're the poor. Yeah. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, the circuit's complete. Yes. You know, uh, it's not us reaching out to them, we are them. Mm-hmm. And we're the ones that Christ reached out to. And so how can we do anything but evangelize? Right. right,
0: and when we understand that faith is that gift, when it is something that we don't deserve and that we didn't earn, mm-hmm. there's very little we can do to actually even increase our faith per se. It's a gift. So what, our gratitude, our love for the beloved, you know, it's that, that, that uh, and, and they talked about it early on with the uh, call of Abraham, that it was a a personal call Mm -hmm. uh, to Abraham, but it was that means he knew my name. God knows my name, and what profound gift that is. There are so many people who don't hear that, don't see that, uh, aren't given that opportunity. The Lord is spreading it out to everyone, but for us to be able to look at it and see how grateful we should be to share that love that that great transforming power, as as Francis had, it, the faith transforms the whole person precisely to the extent that he or she becomes open to love. Mm -hmm. Because
1: without that love, we don't fully appreciate and fully uh, understand, I think, our faith. I think it's important also to recognize, yes, absolutely, there is this impersonal encounter, the personal encounter that we each experience. But he goes on to talk in the encyclical about how we experience that personal encounter in the context of a community, Mm, the body of Mm. Christ. And he gives the example of how each time we stand and make the profession of faith, the creed on Sunday. We say, I believe, but we're only able to do that because we gather together and support each other by what we believe as members of the body of Christ. Yeah,
0: and it's just a beautiful analogy, Or uh, looking at the image of the Paschal candle, how the light is mm-hmm. being passed to one another. Mm-hmm. It, no one light can do it and it passes generations, passes time, mm-hmm. no one of us uh, accepts the faith on our own without someone before us mm-hmm. sharing that. And just that continuity,
3: that history, mm-hmm. that really salvation history mm-hmm. uh, that we are a part of. Is Building so? on what both of you have just said, you know, you can see then how it is that the scriptures can speak of, you know, earning or, you know, meriting, Mm -hmm. and yet it's always within the context of a family, not a factory, you know? So that we're children inheriting, not by virtue of our hard labor and, you know, our our contractual negotiation, (laughs) but it's a covenantal exchange. You know, it's, it's a very different sort of thing than what an employee gains, you know? And I think this is the heart and soul of what, evangelizing is because then suddenly you realize that whatever we gain, whatever we earn, whatever we merit, we do so precisely by humbling ourselves and mm-hmm. saying, you know, nothing in my hand I bring simply to the cross I cling. And, and, and Francis is the one I think who did it in his day, and St. Francis, and now Pope Francis is doing it for us. I was struck also by the fact that from stem to stern, from beginning to end, This is evangelizing, Mm -hmm. and yet the term new evangelization only occurred once. Did it really? In Article 42. I kept looking for it, of course. (laughs) I'm like, come on, come on, we're halfway through it, you know. And then where he uses it, he describes this deep filial identity Mm -hmm. where we participate in Christ's own sonship, which is a radical conversion, a transformation that we can't do for ourselves or we can't even do it for God, we have to let God do it for us. And I'm thinking, you know, Pope Benedict didn't use the phrase new evangelization for the first two years Mm -hmm. of his pontificate. But from 07 on, he never stopped using it. I think there's a danger of new evangelization fatigue. Mm -hmm. You know, it's jargon, you know. We have to unpack this so that we're not just talking about it, we're doing it. And I think that's what he's doing. All right, I I wanna change gears on us because there's a part in this
0: that I think our our world needs to hear. What role does suffering play Uh, in in our life of faith and and what does what does this encyclical speak to about
1: suffering? Sure Certainly as members of of the Church of Christ there are going to be occasions when we do suffer. Right. Uh, We join our suffering with Christ on the cross Um, But Francis talks about in the encyclical about how through our suffering our faith is enriched because we see through the trees the light that penetrates through uh, the darkness, and it is enabling us to be able to reach out to Christ even more strongly, mm-hmm. uh, to be able to embrace the cross, as Francis was so well known for talking about, yeah. um, Francis of Assisi this time, <laughs> um, and, and to be able to see that we are able to be supported by Christ through our suffering. Yeah. It's not some challenge that He throws at us um, to punish us, right. but suffering is a part of our world. And even though we have it, we're able to embrace faith and be enriched in our faith through our suffering.
2: Uh, Mm. Early on uh, in the encyclical, there's one of those grace notes that, uh, in my mind, uh, associate the text Mm -hmm. with the authorship of Benedict. Uh, He fingers uh, an image, a moment in Dostoevsky, Mm -hmm. uh, The Idiot, where Prince Mishkin Mm -hmm. uh, is looking at the Holbein portrait of Christ. Uh, at the moment of deposition. Uh, right. He's stretched out on, on the marble slab, he's dead. Uh, and he suggests that looking upon the countenance of the dead God, it's a wonder that you don't lose your faith. Mm-hmm. And then he, he says, yet paradoxically, it strengthens our faith because here is evidence of God entering into such solidarity, with our suffering, that he takes on this desolation. He feels it uh, and carries it with him right into the depths of hell. And that awakens, I think, a real sense of gratitude mm. thanksgiving. In fact, Jesus saw himself, in that image, uh, the night before he died, the whole Gethsemane mm-hmm. anguish, he, sure. and, and, he, and he sweat great drops of blood, a kind of thrombosis because of this fear, this mortal fear of what he was about to undergo. And it's all prompted by love, this suffering of love. And if that doesn't uh, fortify one uh, in those moments of, uh, of suffering, then I don't know what will, uh, mm-hmm. certainly not Obamacare. I mean, you need <laughs> the grace of the example of Jesus Christ. Absolutely.
3: So, You know, Koheleth in Ecclesiastes is in search of a love stronger than death. And you know, the Old Testament ends, it's it's like a story in search of an ending. The resurrection is the ending, the fulfillment. And yet at the same time, it it shows us that this love is not something that is natural to humans. It is only natural to God. Even angels don't have the capacity Mm -hmm. to love like that. I think that's the only way we can make sense out of the redemptive value of suffering. Otherwise it looks like a kind of pietistic masochism, you know. But when you see that suffering is exactly the mechanism by which the world is redeemed, and not just in some abstract theological sense, but practically, personally, and painfully, Mm -hmm. I, I think suddenly you realize this is why all of us can participate in Christ. Most people will never preach homilies, write books, or appear on EWTN, yeah. but we'll all suffer. Mm-hmm. And when you can tap the power of suffering that is love and redemption, yeah. suddenly you realize every person in offering it up in union with Christ can be evangelizing the world just right. like Christ did silently in his suffering. That's a powerful witness, but it's also a spiritual, uh,
0: you know, uh, attack on the devil uh, and all the, the work. Yeah. Um, So if we're looking at suffering, if we're looking at faith, what are some things we can do in our ordinary life to help increase our faith, to help grow in our faith?
1: Well, certainly during this year of faith, I think back to what uh, Pope Benedict had us, encouraged us to do uh, with his letter, uh, Porta Fidei, to spend time reflecting on the catechism, to learn more Mm -hmm. about the faith, the truths of the faith, to spend time with the documents of the Second Vatican Council, Mm -hmm. to learn what the Council taught. uh, And we continue to try to understand and to be able to implement uh, in our daily lives, all of those things. Being able to engage in Bible studies, different different ways that we're able to come to grips as to what the the great treasure of the faith that has been handed on to us, so that we ourselves then can go out and evangelize others.
2: You know, it's instructive that when we die and God help us go to heaven. We don't have faith. We don't need it then. We have love that perdures forever, but the coin of the realm does not include Mm -hmm. uh, faith. Uh, And so it must point to something that we don't yet have. And maybe if we tried to live here as if we were already there, Mm -hmm. we'd have an easier time of it. I mean, Mm -hmm. the Pope quotes uh, Augustine from The City of God. I forget which book, maybe book 22, where that beautiful passage uh, recurs. He's speaking about the joys of heaven. Mm -hmm. And he says, there we shall rest. We shall rest and we shall see. We shall see and we shall praise. Behold what shall be in the end and shall not end. Mm -hmm. Rest, repose, we all wanna relax. Mm -hmm. We want sight, the beatific vision. We wanna love, we wanna praise, and we want it to go on forever. And that's exactly where faith takes us. And to try to nurture that, I mean to live that uh, as if we were
3: already there, I I think is a pretty good incentive. Mm. I I think this document leaves us with a great legacy for the year of faith. It isn't as though when the year of faith ends, you know, we're supposed to stop spiritual exercise. Now that it's ended, we really have to recognize This is still, you know, an heirloom. This this encyclical, I think, is gonna inspire all kinds of efforts. Mm -hmm. Practically speaking, one of the things that we can do is go back and read this, or Mm -hmm. reread this if we went through it once, you know. And I I think that often people, ordinary Catholics, assume that encyclicals are written, you know, beyond their reach, above their head. When you sit down and read this, it's gonna gonna take some effort. Mm -hmm. But it isn't written for academics. It's really written for the faithful. And I think it's one of those ways in which the, just as the torch was passed from Benedict to Francis, so the torch will be passed from the year of faith to beyond, That's right. and I think this is going to really prove to be fruitful in years to come, and not just months, you know, after the year of faith concludes. Mm-hmm. That is so, so true. Um, so a, a, if we
0: look at it and um, we aren't sharing that faith, if we, we talked before about evangelization, what does it say about us if we're not sharing that faith? Is there anything that we can look at our own lives uh, if we're not sharing this faith? Is there something we can do to kind of stir it up?
1: Well, I think we, at, at its root, need to start thinking about how much we are actually receiving that gift from the Lord that He has given us, mm-hmm. the gift of faith. Yeah. If we're not embracing it and cultivating it in our own lives, by being able then to share it with others, are we truly accepting that gift? Right, and have we had that encounter? Right.
2: uh, Yeah, you can't give away what you haven't already got, but if what you've got is this, then you've got to give it away. Mm -hmm. That's right, that's right. Uh,
0: Thanks for watching. stay with us on Franciscan University Presents. Sharing your suffering with other people is so important because um, it, brings you to realize like, how fundamentally the same we are and how much we can unite our suffering with Christ um, for the sake of others. What I go through is worthwhile.
1: It has a meaning and it has a purpose and if, even if I don't understand what that is, um, I can still offer it to God and know that He's using it. He's using everything I go through for um, not just my benefit but the
0: benefit of, of the people that I know and even the people I don't know. Explore the treasures of your Catholic heritage on a Franciscan University pilgrimage.
2: Led by inspiring spiritual directors, you'll walk in the footsteps of saints and martyrs in the Holy Land, Poland, France, and Italy, and you'll deepen your love for
0: Jesus Christ through daily mass, confession, prayer, and the joy of Christian fellowship. Let Franciscan University lead you on a pilgrimage of faith. Find out more at franciscan.edu slash pilgrimages. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. Uh, this entire program springs forth from the heart of Franciscan University. It's being recorded right now in our communication arts studio here at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. Our students are operating the camera and the equipment and the control room. Um, our, our regular panelists are uh, members of our theology uh, faculty, as well as our president today is our special guest. So Father, we've been talking about the light of faith, the encyclical from Pope Francis, um, and I really want us to focus on what, what is the beginning, the birthplace of faith, uh, I think is one of the words that, that Pope Francis uses, the family. Sure. Uh, so, so how does faith uh, come together in the family? Sure,
1: he talks about it specifically in a couple of different places, chapter three and chapter four, where he gets into some more practical discussions of how faith is lived out. Um, But I think the important thing uh, that that Pope Francis wants to communicate is that as the first educators of the faith, parents, and and in many cases, grandparents, are charged with that responsibility of bringing the faith to their children That through the cooperation with God have they have brought into the world. The family is so much rooted in being able to um, have all of the children of the world being able to embrace the teachings of the church, Mm -hmm. to make sure that... Uh, you know, the, the parents bring their children to Mass where they're able to learn what God wants to be able to put on their hearts to help them to develop into the human beings that God created them to be.
0: Yeah,
1: I love the, the term that the church often uses is the domestic church,
0: mm-hmm. you know, the, the family Absolutely. has that, that place where the, the children are brought to uh, a truth. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the comments that Pope Francis made was something about how uh, they learn to trust the love of their parents. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think the strong implication was that, that then they're going to learn how to trust God the Father. Right. If They don't have a father who's right. modeling that and
1: a mother who's modeling that. So.
0: That, that's a beautiful, uh, very incarnational yeah. um,
1: be sense. And the one thing that you do say, you say model. Wow. It's not only what parents say to their children, mm. but it's the way in which they live their that's lives. Right. It's as the well. witness yeah. of life more yes. than anything Absolutely. else. Yeah,
2: uh, there's just a small, pedantic point. Yeah. Uh, there was a, a slight imprecision. The birthplace of faith is not the home, sure. uh, it's baptism. It's an event, something happens. We are inserted into the very mystery of God. Mm-hmm. And, and I may have quoted him before but it's a wonderfully lapidary uh, uh, insight. Pope Benedict describes baptism as the final mutation in the evolution of the human species. And when you think of it in those terms, it's pretty revolutionary of cosmic uh, uh, implication. Everything changes. New life begins. Mm-hmm. You know, Christ by coming makes all things new, and that happens at baptism. Mm-hmm. And that's where that faith, is, but the
3: imprecision right. is not an inaccuracy or an error, no. it's just incomplete because it is the faith of the parents in the instance right. of infants who yeah. are baptized. They're the ones bringing Precisely forward. because they have faith, but precisely because as members of Christ's body, their family, their marriage is the core, the nucleus mm-hmm. of a domestic church. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And when we see that, again, we, we see it's a both and, that's you know, right. it's not an either or. It was interesting because when I got this and I began reading it, you know, online, it's, you can do certain things like word counts, you know? (laughs) And not surprisingly, light and faith are used over 100 times. Truth and love are also. But in in the second category, I mentioned earlier that, you know, the language of family is really regulent. It's just Mm. shot through. 89 times the term family is used, especially in the second half, the last two chapters. You know, sonship 39 times, father mm. uh, 37 times, uh, child 17 times, and then in, in Article 52, I recall, marriage is 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 really zeroed in on, right. you know? and not just in a controversial way that is countercultural in terms of this is the traditional definition but to show the beauty of love, Mm -hmm. that the truth of love is beautiful Mm -hmm. and compelling. Mm -hmm. And it's it's what we're to to live out in order Mm -hmm. to show that this is not just true, this is love. In imitation of the Trinity. That's right. And And Christ in the church. Mm -hmm.
0: That's it, I mean, because if we recognize that that the parents and the godparents are the ones bringing the Mm -hmm. child forward to baptism in the Trinity, Mm -hmm. but it's coming from a context of family to be a part of the divine family, And that whole sense that our faith isn't some uh, intellectual deposit, uh, that it isn't something that, if if it was, I think uh, Pope Francis says, then we simply could write it down. But it's so much more.
2: There's this beautiful sense of how it passes on. It's just that the credentials that we carry, God and and, and the family are not equally weighty. Mm -hmm. I mean, the real protagonist of the Christian life, the Christian drama is, is Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, He is the one that makes it happen, but it happens in a context, a setting of family, right. the family of God. Right. And they were partners. There's a kind of synergism. We have to cooperate with this grace. God is doing something, doing something marvelous, but He would like us to concert our freedom uh, with His will to change the
3: whole shape of the world. Absolutely. You know, that's why I think the experience of conversion has to be recognized and lived out as something ongoing. Ever deepening, it's never easy, it's always difficult, but it has to really be daily. But you know, when you look at how conversion occurs through baptism to an infant who has no awareness Mm -hmm. of it, you recognize the need for catechesis not because catechizing no longer involves evangelizing, but because the good news has got to be taken up to the next level. Mm. So when you move from infancy and childhood into adolescence, you've got to come to own that faith for yourselves in a radically personal way. And I think it's helpful because in this encyclical and in the catechism, there's that reminder that our faith doesn't rest in propositions, but in a person, and not just one, but three persons, Mm -hmm. the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't in any way diminish the value of the propositions and the the doctrinal formulations, if anything, it invests them It endows them with greater value because then you go back to what you might have learned or memorized as a child and you're like, whoa, you know, these are like thousand dollar bills. I had no idea what I had in my pocket, you know.
2: Yeah, well, the propositions are sort of like the roadmap, uh, but when you arrive, that's what you discard first. You don't keep the map. (laughs) <laughs> as you walk into the kingdom. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, so yes. looking at the
0: family, looking particularly at the, the challenges our culture provides, what are some of the things that we uh, would encourage, or even that the Holy Father or others have pointed out to us as a pathway for families to really enrich that life of faith uh, within the context of the
1: family? You go oh, go ahead. <laughs> Certainly to be the witness, I think, of, of how faith is to be lived out on a daily basis. Uh, encouraging those practices that draw members of the family closer to Christ. Um, Pope Francis goes on to talk about the importance of having that stability for for youth in our world today, Mm -hmm. being able to be part of the church and being able to have some security in the way in which they find themselves. He promotes uh, participation in World Youth Day, for example, as a way for all of the youth of the world to come together to be able to share that common experience, their deep desire to be able to share the faith with each other and to be able to pass it on to others too. Mm -hmm. You you know, there's a beautiful tension
2: uh, in the text. I know Scott, probably uh, spotted it uh, straight on, a, a lovely uh, creative tension between the Greek and the Hebrew of uh, mm-hmm. emphasis mm-hmm. On, on faith. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Greek version would say, look, if you don't believe, you can't understand. The Hebrew text would say, look, you've got to believe so that you can stand, so that you can be rooted uh, firmly, uh, trustingly mm-hmm. in God's word. And and the two are really complementary. Mm-hmm. And I think families have the task of trying to imitate, to show their children that we are standing fast Mm. in this faith. We firmly remain anchored to this word of God, which we can count on. We can depend on it. God is not going to betray us. But at the same time, it invites us to understand, to deepen our appreciation for all that God has done. And that's the Greek version. You know, the Pope uh, is is very uh, insistent upon this, that the encounter with Hellenism, with Greek, Philosophy That was providential. It opened up the church to a way of expressing the mystery that made use of logos, meaning, word, ground. And that for the Greek mind is the highest faculty. I mean, Aristotle speaks of nous as the way in which we most closely imitate the divine. We think, well, what do we think about? Well, why don't we think about thought, word, God, intelligibility? Mm -hmm. There's a place for that in the family. Mm -hmm.
3: You know, as as propositions lead to persons, so thinking, I think, leads to prayer. Mm -hmm. Because if we're going to be thinking about these mysteries, it's gonna lead us to contemplate. But I think in the family, prayer is probably one of the best ways to do it. Not just to have family prayer, the family rosary, we had family devotions this morning, that sort of thing. We always have a little holy family hug where I bless the kids and that sort of thing. But I think we also need to spend time privately with our kids and with our spouse and just say, you know, what can I pray for? Mm -hmm. And then pray for them there, you know. It isn't like Protestants have an extra chromosome so that they can pray extemporaneously, (laughs) you know. Catholics, this is part of our living tradition as well. And within the home, I think, you know, it isn't like I wanna hold my household up as the paragon because we fall short, far short. But whenever we do it, you know, domestic church suddenly grows legs, you know, and starts to walk and talk. And I I think that, you know, although he doesn't emphasize it, it's mentioned in passing. I think that the life of prayer in family, along with fun, you know, my (laughs) wife always emphasizes the need to play as much as we pray. Uh, play card games or whatever else. But I, I, I think this is something that we can capture in a very practical way.
1: Yeah. Well, that gets back to the whole community aspect yeah. of the family right. and how we're all rooted in Christ as brothers and sisters in the body of Christ.
3: Because yeah, the family is not Playing just a domestic church. The church is a yeah. family. Right. That's right.
2: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, faith is a is a rock that's solid enough that you can stand on it, mm-hmm. build upon it. It's a road that's straight that you can follow. But it's also a relationship. Mm-hmm. It's an encounter. Right, right. Not Absolutely. just with, with the event and the person Mm -hmm. of Jesus Christ. And for that, it needs to be nourished. It needs to be cultivated. And that's the whole life of prayer, talking to God, listening to God. He may have something He wants to tell you. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. And I think that uh, as a a parent, I think I've learned more about faith than I I, I would have otherwise in the fact that I, I had to rely so much on God during particularly teenage years Mm -hmm. where you don't feel like you can do it. And Mm -hmm. and so there's this sense that both myself as well as just a witness to my children, witness to our families, we can really um, identify not only with God the Father but our reliance as Mm -hmm. children. Uh, as, as sons of the Father uh, with our family. And that, that moment of faith, that moment of reliance um, is something that I think will leave lasting impressions yeah. on our children and set them up for a life that will be yeah. reliant mm-hmm. upon and then have that solid yeah. uh, foundation to Well, that,
2: that wonderful beatitude, blessed are the poor mm-hmm. in spirit. Right. I mean, what, what, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? It means to be entirely dependent upon God. Yeah. I'm only interested in the truth. I want to remain anchored to the truth. I don't have any personal stake in this. I just want the truth. The truth will set me free. And faith is truth about God. Yeah. It, it speaks the word and it's a reassuring word, a word that you can take to the bank uh, and you can, you can rest your life upon that word.
3: You know, the reminder that the church is a divine family. Mm -hmm. That isn't like a family, you know. In some ways it's more of a family than the Hans or the Martins. And that recognition, I think, is also what illuminates the experience I have and a lot of other people have. You know, a quarter of a century of teaching here, you know, I look back to Father Mike, Father Terry, and now you. And at the risk of flatter, I won't flatter you, but I'll just say this, the legacy of our Franciscan leaders as presidents is really spiritual fatherhood, mm-hmm. and I mean, in your first year, you have basically taken up the mantle that I think probably surprised Father Terry. I know it surprised his predecessor, but there really is a family spirit that is breathed on this campus, and I think in any healthy parish as well, where you recognize we call priests fathers because they're more of a breadwinner than I am. It's a Eucharistic bread that you yeah. bring to the family of God. and. As such, I think we also have practical ways to extend from our households to our parishes and to this campus and beyond. Uh, family likeness, family life, and uh, make people feel like they have a family, no matter how dysfunctional or distant they may be, you know, mm-hmm. from their own homes. As it were.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because faith involves family, involves the truth, involves love, and has all these different elements. Is is there anything that we, when we look back at this this encyclical, uh, that that you want to share that we maybe didn't get a chance to touch on yet, uh, Father? Because we're mm-hmm. heading into the final mm-hmm. uh, segment here. <laughs> or anyone that. Yeah. Uh, as we look forward, I mean, because particularly here at the university, we're talking about young people. Is there anything particular you think that it would be a uh, word from our Holy Father uh, to young people? You have an interest in young people,
1: don't you, Father? <laughs> I do, yes. Absolutely.
2: Passing curiosity. We see many of them here.
1: Yep. Um, I I would just encourage the young people to continue to embrace all of the teachings of the church and to be able to bring them in as their own so that they too can go out and share those teachings with other people. It's a huge task and I think many, if not all of our students here are willing to take up the challenge and want to be out there to be those witnesses to faith to all the people that they encounter. Uh, You'll want to stay with us on the last uh, part of our our show where we'll do some
0: highlights and and sum up uh, the light of faith. You're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us.
1: It's become all the more real. It's not just something that's um, separate um, to like a separate corner of my life, you know, whenever I go to mass or whenever I pray rosary. It is in every interaction that I have with every single person.
0: As soon as the faith turns inward, it dies out, and um, your relationship with Christ becomes more and more meaningless. Um, It's through pointing that what we receive through community out towards other people where we um, really experience what Christ is all about. My name is Joseph Frilich, I'm a chemistry major, biology minor here at Franciscan University. I love the atmosphere, just completely centered around the Catholic faith. When I play soccer, when I'm in classes, everything has that same Catholic attitude. Myself and a few other chemistry majors have the opportunity to work with top scientists in order to combat neglected diseases. I was able to connect my love for chemistry and also my love for mission work by synthesizing chemical compounds. Franciscan University is academically excellent and passionately Catholic. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. This is our final segment of the show. We've been talking about the Pope Francis's new encyclical, The Light of Faith, Lumen Fide. Uh, this truly has been an, uh, an enlightening show. Regis, could you start us off
2: with some uh, concluding thoughts? Yeah, I'll, I'll do my best. Uh, the, uh, the signature on, on the text belongs to Pope Francis, uh, and, and rightly so. He's the sitting vicar of Christ. Uh, he's the pope, but I, I think uh, the benchmark Uh, belongs to his predecessor, Benedict. This is really his text. And it completes a a trinity of meditations on the three great virtues. Uh, my favorite is is hope, but uh, love and faith uh, are not far behind. Uh, And this text on faith carries me back a long way, back to the late 1960s when Benedict was just an obscure, modest Bavarian professor teaching dogmatic theology in Germany, and he wrote a book uh, called Introduction to Christianity, which became almost overnight a a sensation. It made a huge splash, and and not just in Germany, but everywhere, uh, including Rome, where Pope Paul got wind of it, read the book, and was so captivated by it that he insisted, this guy has to be a bishop, I need him, (laughs) and what a meteoric rise that was. Uh, he's, you know, he's now a retired uh, a pope, vicar of Christ, but he left his mark on that book. And that book runs through this encyclical, I, I, I think. It's, it, it's, it's uncanny, the parallels between the two. And, and one, one passage in particular struck me. Uh, early on in Introduction to Christianity, uh, Ratzinger says, you know, it wasn't an accident that the message of the gospel entered Europe. Uh, before Asia. It it penetrated, as it were, the soft underbelly of southeastern Europe, what we call the Balkans. And there is that mysterious passage in the book of Acts where Paul is really prevented, forbidden, from preaching the word in Asia, in Bithynia. Don't go to Bithynia, you need to go to Macedonia. This Macedonian uh, implores him, come over uh, and help us. And that signals a new theology of history. The, 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 the world opens up uh, to this gospel and it reaches into Europe by way of Greek Hellenistic thought. And that category, I, I think, is divinely inspired. Mm-hmm. We need to understand the faith. And at the deepest level, what we're invited to understand it's a, is its personal character. It is an encounter with the human being, Jesus. And in this encounter, we discover the whole meaning of being as person, the person of Christ. He doesn't point us to some truth uh, beyond the horizon of time. He is the truth and everything, everything radiates out from him, including this encyclical. And I think that's the point that I would want to leave uh, with the viewer. Mm, thank you. Scott?
3: Well, the connection between Benedict and Francis, I already pointed out, is sort of reflective of the connection between Peter and Paul. The day on which this was released was the Feast of, the, of Saints Peter and Paul. A lot of people perceive tension between Peter and Paul, but they were brothers who died in Rome together and shed their blood, and I think these two brothers in Christ are, you know, shedding their blood, as it were, uh, metaphorically, for the witness of the faith. Uh, What was interesting about this encyclical, it was actually released on the 5th of July. Mm -hmm. And I recall that because um, I read it once and then I read it twice that day, because that evening I had a dozen Protestant pastors come to visit for a weekend retreat at at our cabin. And the experience of presenting this encyclical that evening was really exciting, but not nearly as exciting as the next day. Most of Saturday we spent prayerfully reading through it and discussing the encyclical. And to see former Protestant pastors just like reacting, you know, and and just like, this is amazing. And the thing is, it's not just amazing for us as Catholics. It's like, we've gotta get our non-Catholic brothers and sisters to read this too. It will be as much amazement for them. And it's one of those things where it's like family jewels. We have precious gems. We have so much in the Catholic family that we, we take for granted, you know? I think we have to lay hold of this treasure, read it, share it, and then go back and reread it. And if we read a great book and we talk about it at the water cooler, you know, in the coffee break or whatever, nobody thinks we're weird. If we read an encyclical and say, man, I got it, you know, and it got me, I think this is going to be another way that we can evangelize in the context of friendship without ever mounting a soapbox or preaching a homily. And I. I think this affords us a unique opportunity to really share the faith, the light of faith, just by reading it and sharing it with other people. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Scott.
1: Father? Sure, Mike, I think one of the things that I want to bring up is how during this year of faith that we've just concluded has really caused me to think back and reflect on this gift of faith, mm-hmm. how faith is so important to all of us. Um, and uh, certainly, uh, Lumen Fide contributes to that discussion. Uh, you mentioned that the document was actually released on July the 5th, which was my parents' wedding anniversary. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, This year, it would have been, had they both lived, would have been Mm -hmm. 65 years since they got married. And throughout this entire year, this year of faith that we just concluded, I found myself going back to all the many ways in which the faith was passed on to me after that initial encounter, after being received into the church through the sacrament of baptism, but through the witness and the example of my family, my parents who, you see them go through difficulties, the sufferings of life, death Mm. in the family, challenges that they experience in different ways, but always turning to God to be able to help them with those encounters and through those experiences deepening their own faith life and giving witness to their own children about the importance of faith in their lives. And I think that really has spurred me on to be able to try and do that and share that gift of faith with others. And I would encourage anybody out there in our viewing audience, um, grandparents, parents, to always uh, relay the importance of faith in your life to your own children, Mm. um, to those people that God sends into your life because you're there to love them, to care for them, and to support them, and to be able to be that presence of Christ to them so that they can then turn around and be that presence of Christ to others. I think that's the great gift that we have, that uh, Pope Francis encourages us in this document, Lumen Fidei. Yeah.
0: Thank you, Father. Thank you for being on the show today. Yeah. Um, this has been a great, great conversation. Uh, if you'd like to go a little bit deeper um, on Lumen Fidei, the, uh, the Pope's encyclical, we've got some um, excerpts for you Uh, that will help you. It would be a bridge, maybe, uh, if you don't feel comfortable going to the whole document. Here's some (laughs) great excerpts for you to to download at faithandreason.com or just by contacting us. We'll send it to you. And we hope you read the whole document, but at least you'll get some great, great golden nuggets uh, if you're able to, to read this. Um, really, I think everyone here has summed up perfectly that, that this is a, a gift. This past year that we had in the Year of Faith was a gift to the church. This document is a gift, but but more importantly, it's pointing to the gift that we have been given in Christ Jesus, the gift of faith that it's not so much that that we loved him, but he loved us, that he reached out, he reached into history and grabbed us and called us by name. Uh, someone brought us to the baptismal font, likely, or, or we came uh, later as an adult, but it's a gift, and we need to re- live our lives in gratitude for that, but recognizing that we've got to stir that up. We've got to remind ourselves of the sacramental grace that is, that is within us that gives us right to enter church, to receive the sacraments, and also the, the joyful obligation of being able to pass that on. Um, here at Franciscan University, um, our mission is to form the students who are transforming the world, I want to invite you to be a part of that mission, possibly by coming to one of our summer conferences or joining us on pilgrimages. Maybe you'll get your education here, a degree uh, here on our main campus in Steubenville or through our online program. Uh, Whatever way you want to get involved uh, with the mission of Franciscan University, I want to invite you. It will change your life. It will give you tools that you need to be a part of the new evangelization. Again, another place as a resource for you is faithandreason.com, a great resource for talks. and. and insights um, on the new evangelization. Father Sean, could you close us
1: uh, with your blessing? Absolutely, Michael. May the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit come upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father.
0: Amen. To download the free handout on today's topic, go to faithandreason.com. Email your request for the handout to presents at franciscan.edu. At faithinreason.com, you can also purchase past episodes of Franciscan University Presents, or request today's free handout and purchase past programs by calling 888-333-0381. That's 888-333-0381, or call 740-283-6357.